0: Ladies and gentlemen, in the house with Kevin, Tenny of Tenny's Pizza. I was actually, I don't think I've heard of this thing called uh, DoorDash. It's pretty legit. You can get all sorts of different stuff. I was actually on there the other day, Kevin, and I noticed that Tenny's is on DoorDash.
1: Yes. So even though we have our own delivery people, DoorDash is pretty cool because here's why. Um, If we get really busy at Tenny's and we have a ton of deliveries, we only have so many drivers on hand. The benefit of ordering through DoorDash is that, we get the order in, we make it, and they send a driver to us. So we literally could have, I don't know, hundreds of orders come to us where normally we wouldn't be able to deliver them. But with DoorDash, they just come right away, grab it from us, and then they're just taking that one delivery so it ensures that you guys get your pizzas super fast. So that's a benefit of going through DoorDash.
0: That's freaking rad. it's like it's like cutting in line almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's it's,
1: it's actually the same cost as what you would really? order through us. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a $2 delivery fee if you're a DoorDash member. So go ahead and uh, yeah, order through DoorDash if if you guys yeah. want to get and super DoorDash fast pizza for an, delivery.
0: It's just an app that you get through like the App Store or whatever, right? You for you sure, and you can get like
1: tons of food off there you can get wendy's burger i mean you could get literally so many different food options not just us and then it makes it so you have all your card information in there and you can order whatever you want so we're just glad to be part of it
0: freaking sweet make sure you guys hit up tenny's pizza through the doordash app on your phone What? Every time we What's start
2: happening? this, I'm like, it sounds so awkward. This is why.
0: What? Why are you at me just like got that? It's not fair.
2: You just, she just got to experience why it sounds so weird every time we start. The I think it sounds cool.
0: It's like our thing. It's just like we're in the middle of a More conversation, waited. and I hit a button, and then people are like, what and are they I'm talking like, wait, about? are
2: we on? Are we on? No, we're not. on. Oh yeah, we're on. I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn
0: it, Matt. <laughs> I just think I'm funny. That's why. That's why.
2: Welcome back.
0: It's the Finding Strength Podcast.
2: Sunday afternoon, it's been a good day.
0: Yeah, it's been a good day.
2: Had some yoga, watched yeah. some football.
0: Yeah, B-Tenny over here, she's like turning into a yoga master. She mm. put me through freaking... You're
2: so full of it, but...
0: but... Dude, I was shaking. Yes! Like shaking when all this stupid core work we were doing. It's I not know. fair.
2: I love yoga, I'm obsessed right now, just so everybody knows.
0: Yeah, we talked about it's this my new last obsession. episode and this one. Okay, move
2: on. Well, I really don't want to talk about it because we seriously talked about it like the whole episode last night. We did. I got a little obsessed and then you get me in here with Gina and we're like, oh, this is <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually went, we're just going to ignore you for a minute, Danny. No big deal. <laughs> I'm
2: used to it. It's fine.
0: <laughs> I went to Gina's book signing last night.
2: I know I wanted to go, but it was awesome. I had the jazz game.
0: No, you were doing stuff. I represented. It. It's fine. I know. Don't trip. Uh, it was awesome. She looked so happy and there was a... Uh, Ton of people there, so Aww. we're stoked for her. Love her, super cool. So yeah, plug in her book again.
2: Now today, here we go. I'm excited because I'm so stoked. as per normal. I'm like, who are we meeting? <laughs> Matt loves to do this because he knows that if I don't know who you are, then I'll be like, wait, where are you from? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah.
3: You like get all I'm inquisitive. <laughs> yeah,
2: I get super interested.
0: Yeah, so let's get interested. Let's
2: do it. Okay, Danny. Yes. And is it Danielle?
3: Uh, It is Danielle. Okay. Danny is easier, but.
2: And Danny's from Washington. Yes. What part of Washington? Seattle. I love Seattle. I've been there one
0: time. (laughs) I will be there Wednesday. Tuesday. Are you you coming? Yeah. I'll be in in Snohomish Tuesday and Wednesday.
3: Are you going to the first responders?
0: I am speaking.
3: What? You are not on the list of people. i I got. I'm going. Dude, I'll you're see, gonna be there. I'll see you there. The one that's in Snohomish, oh, that's, that, that one. So cool. I, uh, like Marysville, Snohomish.
0: I don't know. I like like know church. nothing about that. Is that a church?
3: Yeah. I oh, don't know. I'm pretty sure. Just kidding. <laughs> like that's also, my freaking wheelhouse. Yeah, oh. I thought Jordan Lee and Lisa were supposed to be going to that.
0: They are, okay. and they're taking me, and they're whoring me out what? to teach my stuff oh, for free man. to people. I know. What? I know. Cool. Huh?
2: That's so yeah, cool. I'll be up there. Oh. Hey, speaking of church, I got a little side note. I went to freaking Kanye yesterday. Oh no. If someone's, I'm just. A warning for everybody. Someone puts out a free concert. Don't
3: go. It's free for a reason.
2: <laughs> oh, my hell. I quit going to church a long time ago for a reason. I go up to Salt Lake and I'm like, yes, Kanye He's going to be like, F this, F that. <laughs> nope. None Kanye. of that. It was like a preacher reading straight from the Bible.
0: <laughs> Kanye, full 180, man. That guy's in midlife crisis mm. mode. So hard, it seems. He's a therapist. He needs a
2: therapist. <laughs> he, no, it there. No. anybody knows then, Kanye, You know what? my digits. The, the music was beautiful. I was just like, it's a Saturday afternoon. I don't want to be in church. Sorry, bro. Peace yeah. out. Yeah. So anyways, back to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there one time. I want to take my husband because I went on a girl's trip and it was super fun and I loved it.
3: Now, were you just in Seattle or where were you? Just in
2: Seattle. Gosh. And we loved it.
3: It's like, it's. It's its own civilization right in Seattle. Like the quality of people there is different from all other parts of Washington. Really? Um, like it's just such a diverse group. And you yeah. can find like any kind of food from anywhere that you want. The best sandwiches are in Seattle. Um, and then you The got- best seafood
2: I've ever had in my life oh my was in Seattle. Really good. Yeah,
0: last time I went, I had a lobster omelet. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> it was so good
2: yeah i agree yeah. i breakfast lunch and dinner i would eat fish all day long oh, it's amazing. awesome
3: there's so much to see the ocean like the sea right there uh the sound and then like seeing all the mountains it's good
2: so have you lived there your whole life i have
3: yeah um i made it to the eastern part of washington for paramedic school for about a year but other than that i'm a, I'm a west sider forever so so what's your family like life my family, family life. life. Like, that came
2: out so <laughs> awkward. That was It took a second.
3: That's good. Um, oh, gosh. My family is a giant mess, probably like almost everybody else's, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Um, You're talking like early family? I'm just talking life?
2: like... Um, Parents are your parents still we wanna, married?
0: We want to know Dan.
2: Are you like number? Who are you? What child number are you? Yeah. You know, because it's that makes a big difference. Like we where
0: want a back- background,
3: what position <clears throat> you are in your family? That always I feel like that makes a huge difference. Yeah. So my parents actually were never together. Um, I was a very happy accident, and uh, my dad is presently out of the picture, and I have a close relationship with my mom. Um, and I have I have an aunt and a set of grandparents, but that's kind of my my tight knit family family unit. It's mostly just me. so
2: no siblings. No, okay. Mm-mm. Oh, that was that's interesting. Yeah. So you were an only child. Yeah. So I can imagine why you were close to your mom. Did you live with your mom all growing up?
3: Um, <clears throat> in so probably a little bit of backstory. My mom and my dad are both, um, my mom's is recovering drug addict and alcoholic, and my dad is uh, currently an alcoholic and drug addict. And so when I was born, I was actually born addicted to drugs and lived with my, like passed around my family while my mom and dad were living the lifestyle that they lived. Um, and then at one point, my mom came back for me and I lived with her while she was um, she was like a drug dealer. And so she would uh, do her best to keep me as safe as she could in that environment. Um, but at one point, she finally decided that it was actually safer for me to go live with my dad, um, which was still not the safest situation, but apparently a step up. Um, and then my mom ended up going to jail for a, a period of time. And then after which, she got clean and sober and then came back and got me, and I've been with her since, I want to say it was about five, and four or five, and then I've been with her, like, inseparable ever since, and um, yeah. Has yeah. she stayed clean since then? She has. That's awesome. Yeah. it's Good a, for her. It's amazing. Um, she's, like, devoted so much of her own life to recovery, and- Um, Her own recovery and then giving back to other people. And she has such a strong program that um, I honestly think it's a big part of why I've been able to take as good a care of myself as I have. Um, And it's helped us to have such a close relationship in spite of how it started when I was younger. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. That's interesting. I've always wondered, so when kids are born addicted to drugs... Does that, will that affect you your whole life? Does it? I don't, I don't know how that works. Do you, like, like,
0: do you feel like that's affected you? Do you even know? Is that something you've thought about?
3: <clears throat> um, physically, I don't feel like it's affected me. I think I got very lucky because um, there are a lot of kids out there who have had like, mental and physical issues because of it. Um, however, I do feel uh, in a very big way that has affected me socially. Um, just one, just being different and having that that broken home, um, and then what that kind of um, the messages that that sent to me um, down the road, and then of course my susceptibility to addiction myself because it's in my blood.
2: That's why. I was, that's um, why I was wondering: is does that make you susceptible? So it does. I well, bl-
3: I believe so. Okay. Yeah.
0: So there's varying research on a lot of this stuff. There is some genetic predisposition stuff when it comes to like addiction. Um, It used, we used to kind of believe like in the addiction community, we used to believe that like that was a major, major, major component. That's less and less Mm -hmm. proven to be true. More often, it seems that the major component for addiction is the traumatic Roots to it, right? Like we talk about this all the time on For the sure. podcast, right? And so, but this
2: is to me, this <clears throat> isn't so much genetic as like, oh, my parents were alcoholics. It's literally your body was physically there's addicted to it, to it at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's like a it's like a recovering alcoholic who they always right. have that kind of in them. They have had it, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, there is there's definitely a biological component to the addiction piece, whether that's bigger than the trauma piece and like how your bo- body responds to the trauma like biologically to the trauma of not having parents around and being passed around and not having, you know, not attaching Mm -hmm. as an infant. Yeah. That seems to be in like the research that I've done and a lot of the latest stuff that we're learning about addiction, that seems to be more of a, or I guess a larger factor than even... Than the substance. In utero use.
3: So going back in my family lineage, like there's not one person... That hasn't suffered from some kind of addiction or alcoholism. Um, and I know for me, at a very young age, my like deep, like yearning, burning question was: what is it that is so much more important than I was? Why why did my parents choose this over me? So um, even with that being born addicted, like that. Like I don't know, I don't know if it's like a desire or or hunger or thirst to know was something that really like was
0: to know what sorry
3: to know like what was more important than me like that curiosity I guess Um,
0: why am I not as important as all this other stuff what's so what's so great about
3: drugs and alcohol specifically um, that you know they chose that lifestyle that over their own kid their own that your child is supposed to be the idea is supposed to be this perfect innocent creature, the one thing that you're supposed to love no matter what, why did they choose that over me? I got to know why.
0: And so So. from a super young age, the message that you, like the story you began to tell yourself was what?
3: I'm not good enough. And, And that came in so many different forms of, um, I'm disposable. I don't matter. Uh, someone said to me, you were kind of a throwaway kid. And like, I heard that and I just started crying because that's, that's how it always felt. Like I never felt worthy. And so I always, like some of my earliest memories were like, what can I do to not be a problem or what can I do to matter more?
0: Hmm. Yeah, That's unbelievably common for human beings. Like we, there's a there's a large swath of people in the world that don't understand that that is reality for an entire group of humanity, right? And and that's why you, I mean like that's why your story freaking blows my mind because you came out of that. You were able to dig deep and find something more powerful and change yourself. And probably a lot of that has to do with watching your mom do it and your mom finding something. Do you have any idea? Like what was, why did your mom change? What was the shift for her that allowed her to like work a good program? Like you talk about.
3: So she kind of has two, two parts. I know one thing she had said said that she made a promise to herself that if she was ever going to start hurting herself to get that high, that she had a problem. Now, of course, she started hurting herself for like a year before she actually right. changed her mind to get some help. Um, but another part of that was actually, I believe, getting pregnant with me. Um, she found herself in a spot where she wanted somebody to love unconditionally and somebody who would love her unconditionally back. So I think that the combination of those two things were kind of like the, the light bulb wake up, wake up call of it's time to make a change. So
2: So you were literally your mom's purpose
3: in living. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When did you realize that?
3: I did not realize that until I actually left to go to college. Um, And my mom like had a break. I've never seen my mom break down. Like I grew up and my mom was like this tough lady who will fight anyone, especially to take care of her kid. (laughs) Um, Like no, no one messes with Shannon, but, um, when I left for college, like, she hit this, like, depression. And, like, I've never seen her not get out of bed before. And she has a history of depression, but I've never seen that. She didn't get out of bed. Like, there was no showering, like, for days. And, like, um, yeah, it was bizarre to see that.
1: Yeah.
2: That would be really hard. Like, when you have, you were the purpose for her to stay off drugs, to, to move forward, and now
3: you're leaving. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, I think that's a tough thing for a lot of people. For sure. It's like, now what? Well, and as a kid who thinks that she doesn't matter and spends her whole life trying to matter and then leaves and that's the response, like, that, I had no idea. I never, ever would have expected that.
0: You didn't realize how much you actually did matter.
3: Right. Like, and, and if I did matter, it was only because I was her kid and she had to care or because she she felt guilty about what happened. Like, the, the stories my mind
2: spins. Mm -hmm. So, uh. (laughs) Not the story all of our minds been. Yeah. What about your dad?
3: Oh, my dad. He so uh, my dad. He let's see, when my mom got out of jail, uh and she they did the whole custody fight, right? Like the court battle and like it was really ugly and um And you're like five, four? Four, yeah. Okay. Um they decided, right, like we're gonna split custody, we're gonna share it, we're gonna meet, we're gonna do drop offs. This is how it's gonna work. And I, that happened, I think, maybe a couple of times. And my dad dropped me off at the meeting place and said, Bye, I love you, I'll see you next time. And there was just never a next time. Um, and so instead of seeing my dad on weekends, I would go see my aunt, his sister. Um, and that was kind of the most interaction I ever had with that side of the family. Um, and then when I turned, let me see, when I was 17, senior year of high school, I was doing actually a school project on addiction and the effects that addiction has on family members. Mm-hmm. And so I got this wild hair and called my grandma. She gave me his address and phone number and I just drove to his house. I was oh like, we're doing this. And, um, it was like the middle of the night. I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep in my car. Because who doesn't just sleep in the car? Um, <laughs> in Seattle, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it would be inappropriate to show up at my dad's house in the middle of the night. So I'll wait till early in the morning. Um, and so I, I did that. I knocked on his door and he didn't answer. And I was like, oh, oh, man, I did not think this all the way through. I should leave him a note, but who has paper and a pen at a time like this? So I called him. I was going to leave a message on his machine and he picked up. And I was like, oh, um, dad? Is that is that what I call you? Is it dad? Um, he's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm at your house, and he's like, I know. I'm like, oh, well you do you want to come get answer the door? And he's like, no. I was like, okay, cool. I guess I'll talk to you later. And I hung up, and that was it until a year after that, just before I turned eighteen, he called to he called to wish me a happy birthday, not on my birthday, <laughs> which was awesome. And he's like, I'm getting clean and sober and I just, I want to get a relationship with you going. And, and I thought I owed it to him. And of course I was curious. And, um, so I entertained it and we, we met a few times and I tried to start that relationship and like try to get a dad at 18. Yeah. Um, and of course it was disingenuine and he was still drinking and using drugs. And, um, I set a boundary and I told him, you know, you were You were out of my life for 13 years because of this. Um, So you can't just be in my life now. And if you want to be, then you need to be clean and sober. And you need to let me know when you're ready. And that was the last time that I had seen him. And then intermittently on like holidays um, or like, yeah, holidays, he'd call me drunk and like blame me for ruining the family and why we don't have a relationship and just like this horribly like, just destructive, hateful things, um, which kind of just reaffirmed my boundary. Right, still hurt a lot, but um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where it sits. So you
2: literally fun. have not seen him since you were five, four or
3: five <laughs> years old. Um, for a, a couple meetings at eighteen, but that's that's it.
2: So he's he's still
3: using. Yeah. Yeah, He's actually, so in January, he moved in, I guess, he moved in with my aunt uh, to get clean and sober, but he just kept smoking weed, and now he's he's drinking again and Mm -hmm. um, still making the same decisions, so, yeah.
0: So there's, I mean, obviously you're not the, maybe not obviously, but you're not the only person in a situation similar to this. Right. There are many people, women especially, who's, relationship with their father is so estranged that mm-hmm. it's almost I don't know if we want to put a judgment on it, but like it does more harm than
3: good. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Right? Sure. Like
3: judge it. That's totally it that's yeah. that's
0: kind of what we're saying here. Like so how have you been able to find the strength? Copyright.
3: Uh,
0: <laughs> find the strength to be able to move past that and define yourself and who you are beyond the relationship that you have with your dad. Because a lot of people define themselves based on the relationship they have with their caregivers because that's how we start out in right, life. Right. My relationship to the world is based off of my relationship to my caregivers, mm-hmm. mom, dad, whoever. Yeah. And then I have to move throughout my entire life and figure out how to d- differentiate myself from them. That is really hard when you never even had them there in the first place. Right. How, what's that process been like for you? What advice do you have for people who are currently trying to do that? Uh, I don't go off. You, you do your thing, cause you you figured this thing out pretty damn good, and I think you sharing how you've done that would be really valuable for
1: the world.
3: Sure. So I've been very fortunate, I think, to have a pretty good amount of self awareness even from a very young age. Like knowing that I was born addicted to drugs, like I I knew that early. Um, knowing my broken family mess, um, I already knew. Like okay, I'm gonna have to play some catch up. Like I'm predisposed to be screwed up so right and I already knew I wasn't good enough so I was always like hustling and trying to be better and smarter and um good enough and be like as least broken as possible essentially um which sounds like so sad and heartbreaking and it served me really well
0: and exhausting
3: and very exhausting (laughs) um but oh my gosh so I've lived a lot of my life like just trying to be better um, at this like six out of 10 anxiety level, which was my normal. So I didn't even know that that was weird. Um, I just always did that. Um, So I, gosh, I got into, and with, with the help of my mom too, like her identifying some things that I needed some help with, um, got into counseling at a very young age, like through the school and privately with different counselors. Um, and then like, how do I put this? Like, hmm, counseling was, was very helpful for me, I guess, to just help me get some more of that self-awareness. Um, I gosh, I think there's two kinds of people. I think there's people who need therapy and the people who don't think they need therapy need it even more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I will like sing to the heavens about that forever. Um, but after a number of years of doing therapy, um, like it still wasn't enough. Like I needed more. Like I can sit and talk about my problems all day long, but I need, I need like some homework or I need like a job or a project or something productive where I can see actual like physical results. So Um, I started to look into all the other things for self-care. Everyone talks about self-care. It's really important these days. And it's like diet and exercise. And then I'm like, okay, let's do that. And of course, as an extremist and not being good enough, I have to be the best at diet and exercise. So I was like, we're going to paleo and we're going to zone. And then we're going to CrossFit three times a day and do yoga. And if I still have time, we'll maybe figure out how to stretch. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but <laughs> like on a massively obsessive level. So I'm doing therapy and diet and exercise and it still wasn't enough. So what else is there? Um, I'm going to read self-help books. So i am read all these like, um, oh gosh, like adult children of alcoholics and, um, oh, like I start getting really into church and like reading the Bible and, to be perfectly honest, like that is probably one of the things that actually fed my soul and my spirit the most. Um, I always believed in God, but until I found a church that I liked, which almost seemed like it was impossible because there are some crazy church people out there. (laughs) Um, I finally found a church that I liked in an environment with a God who loved me no matter what. That was like a game changer. Like, It didn't matter if I went to therapy. It didn't matter if I had a diet or exercise or was smart or pretty or funny or talented or had a job or owned a house. Like none of that mattered. God loved me anyway.
0: You were good enough.
3: I was good enough no matter what. Like even despite of all of the negative things I did to try and earn my worth, he still loved me anyway. And that was in 2012 that I found that. And that was a huge, like defining moment in my life where I could have gone, uh, down a very dark path, um, of self-destruction. And that put me on a path of, um, self-worth, um, and self-acceptance and helped me to respect myself and, and help me to set boundaries. Fun fact, I'm terrible at setting boundaries. but (laughs) um, Join the club. Yes. (laughs) So that was huge for me. And it wasn't my default setting, right? At a young age, I wasn't good enough. So even though I found God who I was good enough for, I still found myself trying to be worthy of God's love. Mm -hmm. So I got to go to church more and I got to pray more and I got to read my Bible. And what would Jesus do? And so with that mindset, I'm always comparing myself to Jesus. I'm never going to be good enough because Jesus is the best guy on the planet. And so I'm in this perpetual, like, I went from being a perfectionist to being the perfectionist that wants to be exactly like Jesus. Like, this is not sustainable. Like, I can't do this. So I find the church and I'm going, I'm just getting out of paramedic school and... Things are getting better, and they're getting a little more confusing. And then I get into the fire service, which is a totally male-dominated environment. And I am very young, and I'm very feminine, and I don't have a lot of boundaries. And um, I'm in an environment I've never been in before. And essentially being told that I need to change completely, right? Don't be such a girl, toughen up learn how to do all the stuff you've never done before because you're terrible at it. I'm like, oh no, this is not good. So (laughs) um, on one hand, it gave me all this direction and things to improve on. It gave me a purpose and it gave me value. Like, look, this is a measurable way of how I'm growing and getting better. And the fire service is amazing, but not very rewarding. Like there's always room for improvement. There's never any like, there's never, no one ever gives you a gold medal or any high fives. Like it's just, hey, great job, but what can we do better? And for somebody who needs to be the best, that is tough.
0: The black hole.
3: Oh man, it is brutal. Yeah. So.
0: Why did you decide fire service?
3: Oh, you like, know what? What was that?
0: Yeah, what was that about? Oh. Sorry, I want to hit that real quick and then we can keep going.
3: This is actually really important and I wanted to talk about this. So I'm glad you asked. Kind of a two part reason. At the point that I got into the fire service, my whole life plan, I wanted to be a veterinarian, like, went into the garbage. Like, my whole life plan. I had spent, like, 10 years, like, with animals and volunteering at vet clinics and, like, studying, like, animal anatomy on summer vacation. Like, I'm a nerd. It's weird. Um, yeah. Plan down the tubes. I have nothing going in my life. My life is over. Really depressing. Why? Uh, I went to... Washington State University, it's like the best vet school. It's like really a big deal. And I went there all by myself, first time away from home, first time leaving my mom, mm-hmm. right? And we might be a little codependent, no big deal. Um, no friends went with me. I didn't have a car, left the boyfriend at home. Like, I'm by myself. And being the girl who was abandoned by her parents, like, when I'm alone, I feel like I'm going to die. So I, like, had my first panic attack Came home. was like, this is not going to work. Like, I'm done. I'm out. Like, this this is not happening. So, like, my headspace was very much like, I'm a failure. I'm worthless. I've got nothing going for me. Like, my life is ruined.
0: Not good enough again.
3: Yeah. Mm. My life is ruined. Yeah. So, I guess, this is my thought process in the fire service, my life might be ruined, but maybe I can help someone else make something of their life. Like, it's easy for me to sit here and say, like, I want to help people. And, like, it's cool to, like, lead for women. that's And that's true. Like, that's great. But deep down on the inside, it's was because I hated myself and wanted to maybe help someone hate themselves less. So. Um, and then the second part of that was I had a family friend who was in the fire service who asked me to ride along with them and got me interested. Yeah. And then I got interested. And then they told me that they didn't think I could do it. And I was like, oh, game on, challenge accepted, we have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So, which I did. It was hard, it was really hard. And he was totally, it was a loving conversation. He meant it with um, the best of intentions. Like if I was having the conversation with myself at that time, it would have been the same. (laughs) (laughs) Like you shouldn't do this, stay away, run. Trust me. (laughs) But, um, you know, for me it was, it was... uh, you know, I had to. I had to prove myself. I had to prove my worth. You don't think I'm good enough? I'm going to show you that I am.
0: Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about hustling for your worthiness. Good Hello, old Brown, Danny
3: Devoe. <laughs> I got you. <laughs>
0: right, that's what we all do. We're hustling for worthiness because if I believe that I'm unworthy or not good enough or whatever, eventually something that I do is going to make me enough.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. you <laughs> just <laughs> such bullshit. It's <laughs> such bullshit, and we
0: all do it.
2: I know. We all do it. Yeah, it's crazy. bad.
0: Yeah, crazy. Anyway, so you're hustling fire service and then what? Oh gosh.
3: I don't know. I feel like I've gotten off topic for your original question, but
0: No, you did great. you're doing you're you're taking us through <coughs> okay. the Danny We're time the spin. We're on a journey. We're on the gosh. journey. Okay. Come out of school, that's a bad idea. Join the fire service, going into the fire service. We asked, why did you join the fire service? Okay. At that point, you were kind of talking a little bit about like, because the original question way back was, how did you find the strength to get through Mm -hmm. the hard thing that is not having the support of a father, Mm -hmm. not having the support of a mom early on, finding it within you, realizing that like, it's not up to anybody else for me to freaking do this thing. I got to figure it out.
3: Right.
2: Which these are the steps.
3: Yeah. Totally. And, and truly like as much the fire service is my abusive boyfriend. Okay. So like he beats me down and tells me I'm not good enough and I need to do better. Right. And then on the same token, he's like, but baby, baby, I love you and you do such a good job and I need you. And it's like totally back and forth. So if I sound back and forth in this conversation, it's because that's how it is. But, um, well, how, do,
0: how do you manage? <laughs> like, I mean, the things that you guys are doing, yeah. right? Like scraping off freaking burnt dead Carcasses off the street yeah. on the daily, yeah. like the things, and you're a medic too, yeah. which is a whole other level. Like no offense to like the guys running the engines of like that, like they're fantastic they're human awesome. beings.
3: Yeah,
0: medics. I mean, the stress of taking somebody to the hospital and working with the nurse, like it's a, it's just, it's insane.
3: Yeah. So somebody gave me some advice that I worked with, and they said, if you're not doing something every single day to get to where you're going, you're not doing enough, and on one hand, like, that's terrible. Sounds exhausting. Like, right? Like It's also impossible. You're, you're literally just reaffirming that I'm not good enough. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that also, for me, was such a, it lit a fire under me. One, to be productive and successful in my career, but also to take care of myself. Because I know, from a young age, I'm totally screwed up, and I don't want to be. Like, I want to live a good, wholehearted, happy, like, peaceful life. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be defined by the terrible things that happened to me at my young age. And you don't want to be what you came from. Right. You don't want to be your parents and what they went through. Right. Absolutely. So, um, I literally did that. I did whatever I needed to do every single day to be better than I was the day before to get to where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a result of that, like I was very successful, um, in my career, I am very successful in my career, uh, I was number one in my fire academy um, uh, academically, and I set a number of the records in my um, academy class, which was amazing, especially as a woman. Um, I finished in the top of my paramedic school program. I um, was the first female firefighter to be hired in my department. There were female firefighter paramedics, but I was the first to be hired solely as a firefighter, which I think is an absolute honor. Um, and then I actually got an opportunity to move from um, an organization that <clears throat> was a great start for me um, but they weren't they weren't going to be a good fit for the rest of my career. like they were a big part of the struggle that I've endured in my adult life. I had the opportunity to actually lateral to another department. Um, that has much more uh, diversity and growth opportunities that has helped me to actually feel better even about the person that I am as opposed to always wanting to me wanting me to be better than I am. If That makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so gosh, so here's kind of the, you're like, how did I find my strength to get through things? Like, I've always kept plugging away and like looking for different ways to be better, but no matter what I did, like, right, like counseling and books and diet and exercise and relying on your peers. And well, I'm in the fire service and like, there's always been the talk. I've been in the fire service for like 11 years. There's always been the talk of PTSD. Um, and I've always believed in it, but it's never been like a reality for us until recently. Um, so even going back to eleven years ago, like I always knew, like okay, I need to be even more on point about my mental health. Like I really need to take care of myself. This is a thing because we do. We see these terrible things, um, you know, children dying and being beaten, and people getting hit by trains, and like these are people in my community. I'm seeing people that I know and I love die, um, and it's hard. And it and does.
0: You're sp- and both to save them. Yeah. And oftentimes you can't. Right. And the industry as a whole is sort of kind of designed to like, not necessarily blame you, but like empower you to the point where you think you can save them. Mm -hmm. And when you can't, you think it's your fault.
3: Oh, sure. And, and after it happens and this is a terrible, tragic thing, you don't get to be sad about it. You have to buck up and get ready to go on the next call. Um, which is tough. Like, what do I do with it's all these inhuman. feelings? It's
0: It's, it's unnatural. Right. That's not something that the like the human mind can even wrap itself around. I mean, it's, we're not meant to do what we force our first responders to do.
3: Right. And it's not, it would be easy for me to sit here and say, well, as a woman, I can't share this stuff because I'm with a bunch of men, but it's, it's like that for men too. Like the culture is toughen up, have thick skin this is just the job. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't be here.
0: Right. Do you feel like it's different as a woman in this environment though?
3: There are differences. Yeah. I think. And it also depends on each, you know, not every fire department is the same. All fire departments have a little bit different culture, depending the culture of my first fire department that I worked at is vastly different from the one I'm at now. The first one where I was at, I actually found myself in a position where I knew I needed some help. We had had, we had a, a former member commit suicide and they brought in a therapist to talk to us. And I'm listening to this therapist. I'm like, Oh, I think I need to be proactive here. Like I don't, I'm not going to die, but like I can see the potential. Like I need some help. And I was going through some really hard times at work anyway. And so I went to my, my boss and I actually asked for help. And the response I got was that's what you have insurance for. You need to have thicker skin. And I walked away and I knew like in that moment, this is not, the place for me. So um, that's hard. Like, that's a hard pill to swallow. Like, I come in here every day. There were times where I would work 12 days in a row, like 24 hours a day for 12 days, giving you my whole life. And like, I just want a little help. I just want you to care.
0: Well, and and it's scary to speak out against as well, or speak out, again, not against, but about that there's this culture that's not only like... Not addressing the problem, mm-hmm. but a part of the problem. Right. Where we can't even talk about what's going on. And so we silence ourselves, push it all down, drink it away, numb it away, whatever, until nothing. Well, that's you that's do. probably
2: what you get these people that have been in the industry for so many years, and that's what they were taught to do. Right. And they were taught to never talk about it and right. push it aside and just wish it away type right. of stuff. And so then when you come to them and say, hey, like, I think I need help. They're like, no, 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 no. This is what I did. This is what you're going to do. This is right. what everyone's going to do. Like, it is such a cultural change. that I feel like is slowly happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's hard when you've been in it a long time and this is how you've taken care of it. Yeah. So how do you know any different? Right. You know? Right.
3: Absolutely. Like, the thing that was so heartbreaking when I actually got home. Uh, so I was, I was a client at Deer Hollow for a little while. When I got home, I was, like, at the ha- airport here in Utah getting ready to fly home. I actually got a message that one of the administrators of that organization had killed themselves. And, like, what? I'm just leaving this, like, amazing program, mm-hmm. right? Where, like, all the answers I've been looking for, i found them. You're, that, like, on top of the world. They're out there. How do people not know this stuff? And people at home that I know, that I care about and love are dying. Because people don't know. They don't know what's out there. I didn't know. It took me 29 years to figure out like actual skills that actually helped me. And I was busting my butt every single day trying to figure out how to be better.
0: Well, and the thing that's that's insane that we're, we understand now, and it's hard, I don't know, this is such a touchy thing to figure out in the first responder world is much of the time, the reason why people feel compelled to join the fire service mm-hmm. or become police police officers or first responders in general, whatever, yeah. even even dispatchers, right? Yeah. And not only dispatchers, like e- even like prison guards and stuff like that. Like I've spoken to prisons before, and what we're finding is the reason why you feel compelled to go into this industry is because at one point in time you felt a certain way, less than not good enough, and you found that you wanted to help people. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, because you have this yeah. childhood filled with not good enoughness, right? And then you go into this environment where you just want to help people because you know what it's like to not be helped, right? And it just right. continues and, and perpetuates never, the problem.
2: You've never solved some of those mental issues no. you that started you went down and that path, and then the first place.
0: stack on top of that the horrific images that you're seeing day in and day out. And then the message on top of that is, "What's wrong with you? Why yeah, didn't you
2: save him?" Totally. Move, I, well, you you I you have
0: to, you, you are not a very good whatever person f- responder person if you can't handle
3: this. Yeah, you're overly emotional. You're too sensitive.
0: Yeah. And, what? And and, and maybe if
3: you, you're under emotional, <laughs> <Like> right? <it. laughs>
0: and the hard th- it, its such a delicate nuanced balance of trying to figure out like. Where do we take this problem? Because it, it, I mean, there's so many variables out there that every time a new solution is proposed, it's like freaking (laughs) (laughs) whack-a-mole and then something else pops up and you're like, oh, we didn't think about that and the fallout from that. And it's just, it's, so I, I, because it's a learning
2: curve, just like everything else in life. It's like, oh, this happened. Now we got to make some changes. Right. Oh wait, those changes sucked. Now we gotta make more changes. Right. Yeah. And it's just this continual I feel like we are trying to learn, we're trying to get yeah. better, but it's hit and miss. It's like a crapshoot.
3: Yeah. And we're so behind the eight ball every time, like just trying to play catch up. Like right. there's mm-hmm. never enough. Right. It's it's brutal.
0: It's hard. And it's not... I think the thing that <clears throat> needs to somehow... We need to wrap our heads around this idea, and especially first responders, because that's the world that, that I work in all the time, and that's how we know each other, right? Um, this is not a problem unique to first responders. Right. At all. Right. And it's not just unique to military personnel either. Right? right? We're talking doctors. Mm-hmm. We're talking attorneys. We're talking nurses. We're talking... There are many, many... Very well-to-do industries that are ripe for PTSD. Absolutely, and we shove it under the rug because, well, quite frankly, and in the insurance company, the pharmaceutical country com- companies don't want to deal with it in this country. Yeah, and that's and that's the problem.
2: Well, PTSD, like I would say, growing up, I thought it was solely for.
0: War veterans. That's, that's what everybody thinks. Still to this day,
2: most I, people I think I was
3: that. having a conversation with a friend yeah. just the other day about this specifically. And he's like, well, I get it because you're a first responder. I'm like, you probably have it. IT professional. I like, know, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Seriously. Nope, it's, I remem-
2: it's any industry. Nobody's I, ver- I remember in just in, even in life, I remember when I was having nightmares after everything happened with my daughter and I thought, well, I don't have, I don't have PTSD. I'm not a war veteran. I'm not a nurse. I'm, yeah. I would thought of all these industries... And I wasn't until I went to therapy, and she's like, those nightmares are PTSD. It is post-traumatic stress that where you, your brain is constantly replaying the scenario you went through. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that's the biggest thing we need to make aware to people is that, yes, first responders are seeing for it sure. more and having it more, but that's, it's not solely for oh. that line of work. It's like life in general. Like aside from what you've been through in your work, your life—you've got some PTSD. You've got well, some situations, yeah. that I'm sure are a reoccurring thing in the back of your brain. You don't—it doesn't go away,
3: right? Absolutely. I well, that's the crux. Yeah.
0: That's actually at the core of yeah. PTSD, and the 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 childhood trauma factor in PTSD cannot be ignored.
3: Right. I don't think. My job is hard, right? I see terrible stuff, but I really, I really believe this. Like, not that it wouldn't bother me, but if it wasn't for all the stuff before my career, like, especially the early childhood stuff, and like, I truly don't think that my job would bother me or be nearly as difficult as it is. Well,
0: I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true, but I think, I think the way that I would say that is it wouldn't affect me the way that it does now. Maybe, maybe that it's not as difficult, I don't know how difficult it would be, but for sure there is an impact in the way that you experience your life Mm -hmm. because of the developmental experiences that you experienced. Bethany, you're no different. I'm no different, right? You lost your mom. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you lose Bridie, Right? Like those two things Yeah compounds. Compound, Mm -hmm. right? And that is the thing that we miss as a society, right? even the the psychiatry industry has missed this idea where we don't want to talk about child abuse right we don't want to talk about developmental trauma that is really even a bigger deal right. than is what is going on so right now this is this this will blow your minds okay we get clients I still can't believe this we get clients that are being paid for now because of workers compensation in in, in Washington pays for treatment for some people, mm-hmm. okay? If I want to treat somebody for PTSD and have workers' compensation pay for it, I can't even talk about their childhood trauma or the insurance company won't cover their treatment.
3: That's insane.
0: I'm not joking. How insane is that?
2: Oh, well, it's just a shit show. It's it's ridiculous. It's like, um, you can't talk about this here you're gonna have to go pay someone else to talk about that somewhere oh, it's else. Just
0: insane.
2: This is this isn't my jurisdiction. Bullshit. Like that stuff, kind of stuff, drives me crazy. No, it's insane. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It's like everything I've ever learned from being around you and talking to people, and I am not in this therapy world at all any more than just this podcast and being friends with Matt and being having friends.
3: You're probably light years ahead of most women of Because experiences I've had. <laughs> but I'm just
2: saying, like, I mean, the more obviously the more people you're around, the more you're like, wow, there's just so many scenarios well, your awareness of life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But to me, like the craziness of all of it is the fact that we aren't taking it those steps back, that we're not going back to childhood. And not to say everyone's been molested or everybody's no. had childhood trauma, but Oh my help. 90% of people I feel like have it's some extent, some are obviously deeper than others, but it's like, I, I don't know. Just like I've with friends and family and learning about, you know, these, you know, drug addictions and, um, different ways people are hurting themselves. And it's like, I just don't, I don't believe people are built that way. I just, I don't believe that people, you know, Oh It's been, I'm, I just don't feel like doing anything. So I'm just going to do drugs. No, I just, I totally believe from seeing and experiencing things just in my life. It comes from a trauma. It comes from something happened to you. What happened to you? Do you know what I mean? And let's figure that out. And then maybe you can get back to why you're addicted to heroin. Right. Because it's not, people are born good. That's how I believe. I believe Kids are, babies are born perfect. Kids are born perfect. Mm-hmm. We screw them up. <laughs> yes. Not always on purpose, but we do. And so that's at some point in that child's life, in that drug addict's life, mm-hmm. someone screwed them up. Mm-hmm. Okay. so let's figure, where was that?
0: What happened? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's figure that out before we start trying to like do something else. You or know?
2: before we just start giving you more drugs or yeah. I don't, it's just a no, crazy notion to me, I guess, that I'm just... Starting to yeah. experience, thanks to you. <laughs> You're,
0: welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, the idea of like, I know, and I think you just kind of got introduced to the idea of Suboxone, which I don't think you remember what that is. No, I know what Suboxone is. Suboxone is right, which is like <laughs> drugs to treat your drug addiction, mm-hmm. which is just insane. Drugs Anyways, to help with the drugs. It's it's just yes, it's nuts. yes. And we've kind of derailed a little bit. I know. Sorry. Podcast, but
2: but it, it's just like just it's like mind blowing to me all the time. It's like with you, you know listening to your story and that, like when you first started and you're like, well, how far back? Are you going? It's like, when, what happened when you were born? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's the truth. It's like, that's where it begins. That's why every time we have someone on the show, it's where were you born? Right. Who were your parents? Mm-hmm. What's, what's your place in your family? Cause all of that matters. Yeah. All of it. Every little piece of that makes you who you are good or bad.
3: So I'm like thinking on my way here, like, okay, what am I going to say? How's this going to go? And I'm like, I'm obsessive about their podcast. I know exactly how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Bethany's going to ask me the questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to do way better than those other people did. <laughs> and then the same thing. I'm like, wait, how far back do You're I like, go? Which wait, is like what? what everyone has said on your podcast, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So well, well, because I think it's like,
2: they're like, you really want me to talk about when I was born? Yeah. Or like, but. <laughs> it's just, it's bizarre. And it's like, I always feel like I have to say like, are your parents still married? That's a difference. Were they ever married? That makes a difference. That's your upbringing. That's where you came from. And it all matters. You know?
0: Can I just point out that I love that you said, I've got to do it better than everybody else.
3: (laughs) Some things just never change. No, dude, that's Danny
0: doing Max. That's awesome. So can you, okay, so we kind of derailed and maybe we'll kind of try and, F- hone it back in. Don't worry. Oh. I've got a plan. Oh, let's hear your plan. Oh, okay. Yes, do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it. So what do you think about this? whole? We never office? have a plan. So give us the Good. plan. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I'm
3: a master planner. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Okay. So one thing,
0: you can take a sip of your water first if oh, you want. Oh, thank God. Yeah. So, so what I would like to know okay. really is you have this whole life behind <clears> you <throat> yeah, and you're here in this moment. You've changed, you've grown. What do you think about, Anything that we just talked about, any specific thing, everything we just talked about, what are your thoughts?
3: Okay. So, um, we talked about like drugs, right? And like, that's just numbing. We're ju- it's just our band aid, mm-hmm. and everything I feel like in, in this like trauma situation of life, we're just band-aiding everything, right? Like, let's just band-aid it with this book or diet or exercise or drugs or whatever, but like for me, my numbing, I tried drugs and alcohol. It's cool, whatever. It wasn't for me. <laughs> like I, as, as with anything, like I went hard. I was like, we're going to figure this out. I just woke up one day and was like, eh, I don't care. Moved on to something that, that numbed better for me. Because mm-hmm. um, I can't be perfect if I'm an alcoholic. So um, I actually used um, diet and exercise specifically um, and then perfectionism as my numbing mechanism. Like that's what I did anytime I ever felt Out of control, or pain, or anxiety, or anything, I just fixed. I just fixed stuff, and I just did better at whatever I could. And um, over the last couple years, like I've done that, ooh, my whole life. But over the last couple years, like, like at some point, not being good enough kind of takes its toll. Like, no matter what I do, when Mm -hmm. I do everything right Mm -hmm. and everything perfect, and it's all still falling apart. Yep. My personal life is broken. My professional life is broken. And really everything's fine, right? But of course, like everyone at work is dying. Yeah. And like every relationship I have is messed up because I can't get vulnerable or authentic with anybody because right. I have to be perfect.
0: Especially if your standard for all of these things is perfection.
3: Oh gosh.
0: Yeah. Like you fall way short.
3: Uh so then I just I'm like, well, let's just numb no more and be more perfect. And it right. just Ugh. So never ending cycle. It's not, it's like on a whole nother level than I ever thought. And any time I've ever gotten to that point where I'm like, this isn't working. I'd have like a breakdown, and I'd just unplug, and I'd recharge for a few days, and I'd get back to being perfect and planning and organizing and doing all this stuff. But before I came to Deer Hollow, like a month, like a month before, it was like December. I had like came to this realization that I had made a promise to myself. My promise was a year prior to that. If I ever think of self harm, which is very out of character for me, right? Because perfect people don't hurt themselves. It's like if I ever think about that. Like I have to make a drastic change. Um, And so in December I did, like I started thinking about self harm. I was like, if I can't maintain a promise to myself, we've got problems. So I started like cutting people out of my life and I took a month off work and I'm just going to control the crap out of everything. And I started, actually I was like, I'm going to get vulnerable and authentic on my own, which is really out of character for me also. And I was talking to a friend who was also going through a really hard time and they're telling me about their life. And this is a person that I've like regarded like this person's a tent, right? Perfect family, perfect career, like perfect. I'm like, I want to be this person. Mm -hmm. And they're telling me about their life and how it's a mess. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, that sounds pretty normal. Like that sounds, he's like, this is my life just recently. I'm like, that is my life for the last 29 years. What's the, toughen up get some thicker skin right like all the things i've heard
2: you're like oh so hard
3: (laughs) and and he's he stops and he's like danny if i do not get some help something bad is gonna happen this is not okay and in that moment like i had that flash of the promise that i made to myself and i was like oh my gosh maybe this isn't normal like maybe this isn't the way my life is supposed to be and if I don't get some help, something bad is going to happen. Like, I've tried to control everything for 29 years. It's still getting worse. I need to get some help. And, of course, when you're perfect, like, how do you ask for help? But I did it. Like, I called um, I called a friend <coughs> that I work with who I trust, and he's like, great, I'm a fixer. Here's a list of things you should try. And I was like, as, as the perfect fixer that I am, I've already tried all those things. What else you got? Um, and he's like, crap, I don't know. So then I called someone at work who's on our peer support team that's just for this reason, and I said, I need some help. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Crap. (laughs) Like, this, this took everything to ask for help, and you don't know what to do.
2: And no one's giving any advice. You're like, awesome. Now what?
3: Oh, no. So... I actually ended up calling a first responder helpline that they have. They have a couple in Washington. Um, The one I called was Code for Northwest. And I get them on the phone and I have no idea how to explain to them what's going on. I just know that if I don't get some help, something bad is going to happen. And they're like, great, we got this. Here are some ideas we have and we think you should go to Deer Hollow and they're going to fix you is what they said. And of course, I'm like rolling my eyes like, okay, if anyone was going to fix me, that was going to be me. From um, which
2: if you talk to anyone in Deer Hollow, I can't imagine them ever using that phrase. Fix. We're gonna fix you.
0: Oh no, never. Actually no. I heard that and I just like cringe inside yeah, of like oh I, I was
2: gonna I, say because anytime I, I said now, that, they're like, You're not broken. Yeah. We're not gonna <laughs> totally. fix you.
0: I <laughs> Bethany, you fuck out with
2: me so much. <laughs> High five. I
3: know. That's totally and and at the same time, like in the spot I was at, I was like, Yeah. I mean sometimes you know how like you need
0: to hear like sometimes like hope. I just want
3: someone to fix me because I can't. Yeah. I'm not yeah. options. Yeah. So of course, I can't do this.
0: I need somebody else to help me do this thing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I've got two things, right? Like either it's not going to work and I'm just as screwed as I was and I'll probably just die or they're going to fix me. So like, okay, fine. Let's prove it. Let's see if you can fix me. I'm so screwed up. Like no one can fix me. I can't even fix myself. Let's go. So they're like, get on a plane today. I'm like, no, (laughs) um, I had to maintain like my last bit of control, of course, and like organize my life and plan and make sure everything was going to go smoothly and perfectly before I left. And so it was like probably within a week of that phone call, um, I got on the plane to deer hollow, but the night before I went to deer hollow, like everything that I was afraid of happening actually ended up happening. Like I was afraid of what happens the next time. Progressively, it's getting worse. What happens the next time? And I like, I found out, like, I had the worst night of my entire life. Um, and I actually did self harm, I cut myself for the first time, which I've never done that. Um, and I almost killed myself. Um, I almost drove into oncoming traffic. Um, and the only reason why I didn't was because I chose to call again and ask for help. It was like three in the morning, and I was like, I'll just call anybody. And I called like 10 people. Who's going it? Like rationally, who's answering the phone at three in the morning? I, I wouldn't hear not, my phone. I'm not doing it. So after no one answering the phone, you're like, oh great, I really am worthless. My life really is meaningless. Like all the bad stories you spin. I was like, well, this is it. One last try. Otherwise this is my car. And it was like something at the end of a movie, like the last millisecond, like somebody picks up the phone and I swerve away instead of towards the car. Um, Super dramatic and super horrible night um and as awful as it was and as much as I wish I never had to experience something like that like it put me in the headspace to get on that plane and go and get the help I needed with the idea of this is life or death and I have to do everything I possibly can do to save my own life otherwise I'm gonna die
2: um so interesting thought and Matt I'm not sure if you know the answer to this or what I mean you're usually know the answers. I just uh, make it up. There's been a few people that I've known, heard of, I should say it's not that I knew them that literally took their own life the night before they were going into therapy.
1: Hmm.
2: Whether on purpose or on accident. What what is that? Cuz you hmm. knew you were going to therapy the next day. You knew you had it planned. Why?
3: Hmm. Is
2: there a reason?
0: I don't know. What what was your experience?
3: Like my thing was I had already done everything I could mm. to cope on my own.
0: Helplessness. When I
3: asked for help. And I was in pure survival mode between that mm. time I called for help and getting on the plane. And I was absolutely destructive. I don't drink maybe like a couple times a year. Um, and at that point, I was drinking every day. And like it was like one to three drinks. Like it wasn't even a lot. But for me, incredibly out of character. I was being very reckless. Um, I I was not making safe choices. And I put myself in a very unsafe situation. And in that situation, all of the storylines that I've told myself my whole life came true from some of the events that happened. All in one moment. I'm a throwaway kid. I'm disposable. I don't matter. I'm going to die alone. I'm worthless. Like every single negative thing I've ever thought, ever like somehow managed to tuck away and not believe it was all 100% true in that moment. And that was the rest of my life. And I thought to myself, and this was the thing that that breaks my heart was that I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. I know it. And all of this pain is going to stop. So why, what am I waiting for? Why not do it? Why not? Do you think part of it too is
2: because you're leaving, I just listening to you talk, it almost seems like you, you start to let your guard down. It's like, you've built this up, like you're fighting, fighting, fighting. And it's like, okay, well, I'm, it's starting to come down because you're going to, you know, admit yourself to a place to get help. And so you're, you're becoming more, more vulnerable. vulnerable. I can't say that word right now. vulnerable Vulnerable
0: is a hard word to say. You but it's know, true.
2: You're slowly letting that in. And so it's guard like down,
0: guard, down, guard, down. Yeah.
2: yeah, because you're gonna you're going to this place. So cause that's that's what it sounds like to me listening to you. Like, okay, I'm I'm gonna I've been fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, and t- tomorrow I'm going. So it's like slowly releasing that. And if you hadn't gone, <clears throat> if you didn't have it planned, if you then you may have broken.
3: Yeah, I I really think, like, the only reason why I didn't follow, like, yeah, my friend answered the phone, right? But, like, dear hollow, like, we're going to fix you. That was my last granule of hope. Like, that was it. That night was the first time in my life that I've ever had no hope where I actually thought, what is the point to anything at all? So, yeah, like. They, they so now you've gone hope. to Deer Hollow.
2: Mm-hmm. You've been through some different things. Mm-hmm. What is the hope? Oh,
3: gosh. Um, well, you know, like, Deer Hollow was crazy. Like, I've never experienced anything like that before. I've got this lunatic therapist that's like, that's bullshit. And I'm like, who the who's, who's calling me on my crap? <laughs> <laughs> they are
1: awesome. My crap is
3: so good. I believe it. How do you know this, that it's bullshit? Um.
0: Because it stinks.
3: <laughs> it <laughs> reeks. No. Oh my gosh. Because um,
0: you know what you got. That's why. That's really how it works as a therapist. You smell it because you recognize it. And you're like, oh, I know that one. I do that all the time. Totally. Nope. <laughs> totally. Um, I
3: I went there, right? I said I went there with the mindset of I have to do everything. Everything they say. Like I have to do it all. I ha-, Like they said, they said like the first day, if you feel like you're gonna cry you need to cry and I was like oh great I don't cry I haven't cried f- mm-hmm. my own mother's maybe seen me cry like a handful of times this isn't a thing that we do I was born like a baby like the first day like okay that's what you want let's do I like surrendered as much as I possibly could and they're like you have to allow yourself to make mistakes and I'm like skirt what <laughs> mistakes um what else Matt's like do you do me I've lived my whole life for everyone else what does that mean
0: um, well, to be, to be <laughs> accurate, the way that I said it, if there are children, get them out of the room, the way that I said it is fuck everybody else. Do you that? Yeah. Cause I believe that wholeheartedly, like we have to, or I guess we get to get to this place in life where we just go, this is, this isn't about anybody else but me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's a good thing yeah. because when I make it about me, guess what I'm able to do for others? So much more. Totally. But when I make it about everybody else, I have no time for helping other people because I'm so worried about myself. <laughs> oh. That's the craziest <laughs> paradox ever, but it's, it's 100% true. It's true
2: yeah. in everything I've ever learned when it comes to self-care and reading and health and nutrition and anything. It's, I mean, it's straight up from the freaking, you get it on an airplane and they tell you,
1: the put the mask on
2: yourself and then you put it on your kids. Yeah. Right. It's it's true in everything in life because if you are a mess, you can help nobody else. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. So if you can't take care of yourself, so people love to be like, oh, so selfish. Well well, you have to be.
0: Totally. You
2: have to be selfish, yeah. and then when you're in the right space, everyone else
3: benefits.
0: Huh, Danny. Matt's
3: nodding at me with the eyes. Huh. <laughs> I'm practicing. And
0: you're good at it. You're <laughs> getting way better at it. I'm proud of you.
3: Um, no, Dear Hollow, like, they had actual tools, like, actual, like, scientifically proven treatment modalities, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm going to therapy since second grade. Give me some homework. Did anyone ever give me any homework like this? No. no. Like, I was robbed. Robbed. That's like, this stuff. And I did it, and like, huh, newsflash, it actually works, which And is now cool. you have
2: tools. So when you go back home, mm-hmm. and you're in a shitty place again- mm-hmm. You have these tools to be like, okay, Matt told me I need to do this, 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 and this. And so and so taught me how to do this if I get into this position. Yeah. Like, those are all amazing things you will now have forever.
3: Yeah. So, check this out. When I got home, we had a nine year old girl in cardiac arrest who ended up dying. And my crew, we went back to the station and I said, hey, like, next shift, guys, like, you guys wanna do. You guys want to do some uh, some like cognitive processing therapy with me? You guys want to like mind body bridge? And they have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But like I've got them hook line and sinker. They're like, yeah, let's do it, right? No one, <laughs> right? Like I just a bit right. Like I'm sitting here like I just killed this kid, right? Like that's how I feel. Of course, it's not what happened, but that's how I feel on the inside. They're not gonna tell me no. I've, yeah, I've got them. So next shift, we're doing it. We're doing cognitive processing therapy, mind body bridging. I've got my captain he's going to be maybe embarrassed when I say this, but my captain like almost started crying. Like we're getting raw with each other and vulnerable and authentic. And not only did we work through like that call that we had, but actually like I helped my crew and like together we raised awareness about some stuff that we didn't know bothered us. And like it grew us as individuals, but it grew us as a, as a team, like as a crew together too, which was amazing to bring uh-huh. that back and share that with people.
2: And that that's the kind of stuff I, I, we've said it a million times on the show, I feel like, but before we started this, I was telling you how me and Matt, when we sit and talk with our friends, our close group of friends, it's incredibly vulnerable and open. These guys know literally every aspect of my life.
0: It's, it's- kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding.
2: Because when you do that, when you have those experiences, mm-hmm. like you just said with your fire crew, mm-hmm. it right. bonds you. Right. And now you trust them. Right. So now when things are hard or when anything important is happening in your life, you'll, you start to let those people in. Yep. It takes those experiences. It takes those, you know, bawling your eyes out or screaming and yelling and ex- explaining what's going on in life. Those are the experiences that connect you with other people.
3: Yep, And that was like amazing to have that at work. But having that in the treatment program, like sharing my dirt, like the raw The stuff that you don't tell anyone, Mm -hmm. they made me tell it all. And like I'm ugly crying, the snot's coming down, it's really embarrassing. And I'm looking at all these strangers, professionals in my my field, right? People that I work with, people I'm going to go home and spend time with and I'm going to see them professionally and having them hear all my crap and me getting to hear all their crap and having us like legitimately love each other anyway Mm -hmm. when all of us in some way think we're just worthless pieces of garbage that aren't good enough. Mm. Like what an amazing gift. Like that's something that I've hungered for from a very young age to just be enough to someone no matter what. And to know like I can have that.
2: Or that you can tell your shit. Right. And you're still loved. Yeah.
3: And that I am enough. Mm -hmm. Matt had me looking in the mirror every day telling myself that I matter. Every day, so dumb, totally worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay,
0: okay. We all have stories, Mm -hmm. and the story that I tell myself is for sure 100% rooted in my childhood. For sure 100% rooted in the most traumatic, difficult, memorable moments of my life, Mm -hmm. right? So good old Brene Brown, pull up one of her quotes, okay? Okay. This is, I think I've read this on the podcast before, but it's definitely worth repeating. This is what you've got to do. Find the story. Understand that I'm not going to look for evidence to prove that that story is true anymore. Mm -hmm. Brene says it much more eloquently. She says in uh, Braving the Wilderness, if you don't have that book, get it. Stop walking through the world looking for confirmation that you don't belong. You will always find it because you've made that your mission. Stop scouring people's faces for evidence that you're not enough. You will always find it because you've made that your goal. True belonging and self-worth are not goods. We don't negotiate their value with the world. The truth about who we are lives in our hearts. Our call to courage is to protect our wild heart against constant evaluation, especially our own. No one belongs here more than you.
2: Doesn't I then, love that we talk about that cry? a lot. She's the best. I, she's it's the one best. of my she's favorites, the best. and I honestly, I've, I've said, I've prefaced that many times in different areas of my life and different circumstances, and I'll probably use that this week. I got to speak at a thing. Thanks, Matt.
3: Appreciate that. I just thought of that. Renee, if you're Bump listening, hole. come here. Brene. <laughs> we need you. She's
0: she's my idol. She's never gonna Dude, show up. There's like three people that I want to meet before I die. She's number two on the list. Number one, Dalai Lama. <gasps> Dalai Lama. I Renee love Brown. Dalai Lama. Number three, Tool. And I'm going to go meet them in a week and a half. Boom. <laughs> True story. Anyways, okay.
2: It was, you know, I was I was sitting here thinking, as you were talking, and we're talking about, you know, PTSD, and we're talking about all these. It's like mind manipulation, right? That yeah. we have to do because we have these stories. We have these. Um, memories. We have these things that have happened to us in life. And I was just talking to my husband yesterday. We're driving up to Salt Lake and um, we're talking about substance, you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever. And I was telling him, like, it's just so interesting because when you struggle, when things are hard, when you don't know what to do, you constantly are turning to to a substance, mm-hmm. to a numbing substance, numbing. right? Yeah. Like you were saying, sometimes it was exercise and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're constantly numbing, numbing, numbing. Yep. And then as soon as you start to find these avenues that slowly pull you out, it's like, I don't, you don't need to be numbed anymore. Right. You know, like I was telling my husband, I'm like, I have not even been drinking very much lately, which sorry to any of my family who hears this and didn't know I was drinking all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, but I haven't been. And I've slowly recognized that I don't need it mm-hmm. as much. It's not necessary anymore. You know, now it's more of like a social gathering or just like a fun event of some sort, but it's not like a, a necessity in my right. life where it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't handle life. I need to numb. Right. And I feel like that's what we're trying to figure out and tell people to give options on this podcast mm-hmm. is all mm-hmm. these ways to heal and to start pulling yourself out of this shithole that we've dug into mm-hmm. so we don't need to numb all the time. Right. You well, know? Right.
0: And the shithole we've dug ourselves into is predicated upon the story. hmm And that's the part that I, you're hitting the nail right on the head. Like, I don't need to believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to numb is because there's so much pain associated right. with the story I tell myself. Right as soon as I poke holes in that story, as soon as I let it go, as soon as I realize like, God, I am enough or
1: mm-hmm.
0: I am okay, or it's not my fault or I'm, I'm a good person.
2: Right. We're just saying it out loud. Yeah. I, right? was, like I was staring telling... in the mirror
0: and being like, yeah. I matter every day. <laughs> it's, weird, weird that you would tell somebody to do that. It's a hundred
2: percent true. <laughs> well, I told you a little bit of my story of the last week and how I was kind of just going down this, you know, you just start to spiral. And you, even when you feel (laughs) the spiral happening, it's so hard to pull out.
0: Yeah. It's like gravity.
2: It is, but you have to say it out loud. Uh, That's what I've discovered. Acknowledge it. As soon as I, I was at work and I'm with my husband and my business partner and I said it out loud, like what I was really feeling. And then I was like, well, that was stupid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not true. Why am I saying this? Why am I feeling this? And as soon as you start to <clears throat> unravel that a little bit, I don't know, for me, totally. a lot of things came to light. Like, yeah. oh, this is some bullshit story I have told yeah. myself since I was a kid. I'm stopping it now.
3: Yep. Totally.
2: I'm done. I'm going to try to recognize it sooner so I don't start to spiral every time this comes up. And I'm going to try to have boundaries yeah. and take control of it.
3: Yeah. For me, I, it's my body. I feel it more. Like I'll have some kind of tension, like oh, like I'll, I always, I'll hold my breath, like for a long time, and I'll be like, wow, I feel like I can't breathe. I'll have all this tension. Why? And then I'll realize all the stuff that's going on in my head. I don't even real. I'm so used to my head spinning, I don't even realize that it spins anymore. That's just my hamster wheel, just cruising all Mm -hmm. day, every day. That awareness is so important. So important. And a lot of times, if you don't,
2: some people are uncomfortable. I'm, I'm a talker. I'm a sharer. They're uncomfortable saying it out loud, so we talk all the time. Write it down. Mm -hmm. Get it it out of your head. Write it down. Because that sounds so, like, what's the word? Like elementary, like so basic, but it works. Like the second you pull that out of your head, sometimes you can look at it even on paper and say, that doesn't doesn't even make sense. That's not true at all. But as long as you leave it up there, Mm -hmm. like stirring and going, it just starts to... You know, it's like a freaking dust ball that starts to roll, and it just grab grabs any other crap stories or thing not negative things totally. and pulls it in with it. Right. You know, so How'd, it's like you get you have to get it out.
0: How do you stop something you never even realized had been started in the first place? You can't. Yeah. Right. You you have to acknowledge that this thing is running, spinning, whatever, and then you stop it. Right, and it's like a loud whirring fan or a motor or whatever, just like imagine like this buzzing noise that's just loud and persistent. And you just think that that's just how everything sounds. And then an instant is off and you're just like, Oh, it's so quiet. So awesome. This is so peaceful. Like, Oh my gosh, this is what it's supposed to be. But you didn't even know that existed because your norm is to have the buzz constantly whirring around. Right. And once it's off, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I don't need to turn it off with alcohol anymore. I don't need to turn it off by, like, exercising the shit out of myself or, like, perfection or whatever. Yeah. And it literally is that simple. Yeah. It's just recognizing that I have a story.
3: When I got home, I had, I was at, like, one of my, I do most of my good spinning when I'm driving. And I was I was at an intersection where normally I'm solving all the problems. And it was dead quiet in my brain, like, totally calm. And I was like, what the crap's going on. Like I started to spin about the fact that I wasn't spinning <laughs> and I was like, this can't be right. No. What's happening. I'm like, right. I'm like, okay, well what's my thought, my requirement, My storyline. <laughs> I'm going through my skills and I was like, oh, this is what calm is. And that's okay. And it's so cool to have
0: that mm-hmm. for sure.
3: So cool.
2: But I don't think everyone needs to learn how to get there and everyone's going to be different in the way that, You can get your mind there or get your body to that calm, peaceful place. We're all different. That's why there's so many avenues.
3: But it's so important, I think. One thing I just really want to bring up is how important it is the vulnerability and authenticity, but doing that with people. Like you have to be you have to do that stuff with yourself. That was really hard for me. But to do that with other people is so huge. Like I have a it's easy for me to isolate. And make it all about me, like total victim mode and no one gets it. and I'm all alone and right. It just grows it and makes it worse. And the more vulnerable and authentic that I've been about sharing my story, it's allowed other people in my life to share their stories with me. People I had no, I had no idea about their story. They had no idea about mine. When I got home from deer hollow, th- five people knew that I was either struggling or that I was in deer hollow trying to get help. No one else had a clue that anything was even wrong. Being vulnerable and being authentic with a group of people, like, isn't that what you said? That's why, like, all those 12-step programs work is because of the community and the common humanity that's there. Like...
0: Common humanity is the thing, yeah. It's huge. When you realize you're not alone in the world, you're not the only one suffering. Yeah. Like, like that's tenet one of Buddhism is everyone suffers. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Once you recognize that and are willing to understand, to willing to see like, okay, here's my story. Mm-hmm. That's creating my suffering. I'm not the only one that has a story. Everybody else is suffering too. Mm-hmm. It's so much more bearable, yeah. so much more doable. And then actually you're much more likely to act and right. do something about it rather than just continue to spin in your head. Because the story you tell, just told Bethany, is you're sitting there in the dough room with who?
2: My husband and... Best friend.
0: Oh my gosh. Like people you care about. Who you've been Mm. vulnerable with how many thousands of times, right? And so that's the part about this that we talk about is you you freaking, there's people, people out there who love you and care about you. Like talk to them, open up to them, connect with them, like be with them, like create a freaking text group. I don't know. Something. Find people who give a shit about you and tell them how much you give a shit about them and watch what happens to your life. It's freaking incredible. Right. And people don't do this. They don't. They're scared. They're scared scared to open up.
2: I think everyone wants someone to be vulnerable with them, right? You're cool with, at least for me. I was like, I can handle people telling me stories. Yeah. But I have to, if I want people to share with me and to be that way with me, I have to put that out there. Totally. Or else it's never coming back because everybody's on guard. Everyone has a wall up to some extent. Yeah. So I think people that are listening, you need to recognize that. Mm -hmm if you want these connections, if you want these people in your life, you want these important relationships, you have to start it. Yeah. You decide you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be real. Yeah. And they'll come.
3: And to speak to the fire service specifically, just with all of the suicides that we've been having recently, like I do believe, and I'm seeing that our culture is slowly changing. Mm -hmm. Um, right. It's, it's it's not something we can ignore anymore. Mm -hmm. So we are being forced to pay attention to it. Um, and we have to do more. Like Each individual person needs to take responsibility and reach out and make themselves vulnerable and hold their, hold their, their coworker accountable as well. I, being home myself, I've heard of a couple of my brothers having a hard time. And one specifically I reached out to. I asked him to go to coffee. And I told him my story. I didn't even ask him about his story. And then s- subsequently, he poured his heart out to me And now we've started a first responders meeting. We had our first meeting the other day. It was pretty cool. Um, That's awesome. We're now, like, hopefully, like, first responders in the area, not just from our job specifically, but, um, you know, 911 dispatchers and police officers can come and um, help us with our growing pains of what we're trying to make happen. But, like, get vulnerable with each other and, like, let's work together to make something different. Like, we can't keep ignoring this. And we don't have to be in crisis – to need help yeah. or to get help or to ask for help. like That's so many people I've talked to who are like, well, I'm not to that point yet. You don't have to be doing self-harm. You don't have to be ready to blow your brains out to realize that you have a problem or you're heading down the road of having a problem.
0: And if you don't have a problem, that's your problem because you're full of shit.
3: <laughs> it's true. And you're a liar. <laughs> well, because
0: we all have, and the whole common humanity thing right. is everybody's got problems. Yeah. And problems are a lot easier to deal with once you realize, number one, what the problem is, yeah. and number two, you have somebody else to help you deal with that problem. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to pile up, pile up, pile up, pile up until it's too late. And then you're going to want to hurt yourself or others or whatever or numb it or something disastrous will happen, and life will force you to deal with the pain you are creating right. by avoiding your suffering.
3: Right. And here's the thing. It like will. No one can fix you but yourself. Like... Dear Hollow didn't fix me. I did all the work that mm-hmm. I had to mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. to get better. And I'm not fixed. Guys, I'm still so messed up. It's on a whole nother level. But I've got hope, like that I a certain amount of hope that I haven't had in a very long time. I've got tools. I've got support. Like I have so much now that I didn't have before. And like more days than not, which is the biggest victory I could ask for, like I actually do think that I matter. Because you do. Because I do. And you'd, you'd because be, I'm alive. Period. Not because of my job or because of how smart I am or how accomplished I am. Like, just because I'm alive.
1: Yeah.
3: And that's so cool. I love that. That that's it is so cool. It makes me really happy to even like say it and believe it.
0: Because it's true. It's awesome. And you can see it. I wish you guys could see Dani right now. She's like
3: <laughs> beaming. Oh, yeah, beaming. I cry all the time now too. By the way, don't worry. You're welcome. <laughs> I love that. And I,
2: I, I love how you put that. Like I matter because I'm alive. I don't have to. It's like what Brene Brown says all the time. You don't have to hustle for your worth. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's very important. I I hope that is
0: my takeaway from today.
3: And I screw up now more than I probably ever did. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's safe too, right? Yeah. And you
0: can actually learn from it dude. Freaking Danny, you're awesome. It's thank cool. you so much for Absolutely. doing this and thank coming you. out here and taking the time. And it's awesome. To and thank
2: you. Idea. Yeah. Thank you for what you do. Keep fighting the fight. Keep yeah, making straight. these men. Cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You can do it. That's right. Super cool. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks, Annie.
1: You rock. Uh-huh.